Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host today, Kim Selby, and I am the San Francisco editor of the Three Tomatoes newsletter. Today, our guest is Mayer Schneider. Mayer is a fascinating man. He was born blind to deaf parents, and he had congenital cataracts. He had five unsuccessful surgeries on the lenses of his eyes, and he had massive scar tissue after that. He was blind until he was about 17, and he met a young man who introduced him to the Bates method of natural healing for your eyes. Basically, he was able to cure himself of blindness, studying and working on these exercises 13 hours a day. Now, he has created programs and written books, teaches seminars worldwide and in his home of San Francisco, and helps people heal their vision naturally. It takes work, but it can be done. We have a great conversation, and he gives us tips and tricks and the 10 principles that we really need to know and work on to help us heal macular degeneration if we're headed that direction along with other eye diseases. So now I invite you to listen to our conversation and enjoy Mayer Schneider. Mayer, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so happy, Kim, to be with you. I am really excited and because I have wanted to interview you I think for a couple of years when I took your natural vision workshop, weekend workshop, and I was so impressed by your story and the many, 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 many people that you have helped over the years that I just thought it would be a great opportunity to share with my listeners. So you have a school and a presence called self-healing. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. And tell us, tell my listeners, how you got into serving others in this way. I know that you were born legally blind, I believe. And let's hear how you have managed. You know, you don't have to tell the whole story in, at once, but if you can just give us the beginning story and then we'll sort of discuss it and I'll keep asking you questions. How's that? Sure. So how well, did you start on this path? So my history was that I was born with cataracts, which is very unusual. Uh, many people develop cataracts in older age. 
but I was born with it, so did my kids. What's also interesting, my parents were deaf. I was known in Tel Aviv as being the son of Ida and Abraham uh, in the whole deaf community, the blind side of Ida and Abraham. Uh, I was reading Braille, and I was a very motivated person from the very beginning. I um, credited to the love of my parents, but mainly to the love of my grandmother. She really thought much of me, and consequent to her thinking much of me, I allowed myself to develop higher and higher all the time. And so uh, I became the quickest Braille reader in the whole state of Israel already in sixth grade. And something in me wanted more than what I had. There were many difficulties in my life. Uh, one of them was that I was integrated to a class of sighted people and I never had what they had. I never was able to read the books they read. And the books in Braille weren't always ready on time. And I dreamed about getting out of my blindness. And um, I remember that in my teens, I went to all kinds of surgeons and I already had five surgeries that were unsuccessful. And they said, well, you're very motivated, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do for you. Can I just ask a quick question? Could you see anything at all at this point? I could see shadows. I could see some shapes, but I wouldn't be able to describe your face to you. No way. Okay. So you well, were motivated, and then what happened? <laughs> you can say that I had 1% of vision. <clears throat> uh, and so I met a kid, the high school dropout, who have shown me eye exercises. My whole family opposed what I did. Um, and slowly but truly, uh, after doing the eye exercises, I gained enough vision to read, write, and write. I improved my vision from 1% to 70%. And one of the things that I saw is how great the potential of people is. Here I have bits and pieces of lenses. 99% of my lenses is scar tissue. And yet um, <clears throat> I biked right now to the school to be on this show. But uh, this morning I drove because I had to go farther to the post office. You'd see me driving sometimes all the way to Sacramento from San Francisco, even to Grass Valley. Once I drove to Fresno, I wouldn't drive cross country. That would be too much for me. It's more effort for me than for others. But I'm a very competent driver and I'm already driving for 40 years. And uh, the DMV keeps renewing my license. So I'm <laughs> I'm very happy that that is the case. And I'm very grateful to the DMV. There's no accident, not even parking accident lately, but you know. And so, you drive with an unrestricted lens license. Isn't that right? Uh, exactly, unrestricted driver's license. Not that I see that well, <clears throat> but um, glasses cannot correct. You see, in the past, I had 1% vision and glasses, corrected it um, to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, glasses corrected it to uh, uh, 4%. But now I have 70% vision, so glasses can do me no good, basically. That's incredible. And there are, through these exercises, so you met uh, a teenager who helped you 
figure out that there were exercises you could do to actually improve your sight. And when I read your book, you practiced up to 13 hours a day. That's what it took. If you think about the fact that my lens is broken into pieces and that my brain did not have a concept of uh, vision, then uh, what it took is um, uh, diligent work uh, where I was able to work with the bits of pieces of lenses. Again, 99% of my lenses counted you. And with lack of original brain development, the age of eight weeks is when the brain decides to see. And if you don't see that, you become blind for life. And I started to build up my vision at the age of 17, which sounds nearly impossible. But with diligent work, I succeed, succeed to do it. And we know now that there are brain-building cells. And we know now that concepts could end up changing in the brain. It's only a matter of um, training. And that's what I've done. Well, I do want to get into a little bit about how you did that. But I also found fascinating, and this is where the self-healing comes in, that it's more than just brain exercises. It's also you accredit a lot to the love of your grandmother, to someone actually supporting you. I do. I do. I think that without um, a, a feeling of love of a person that is very dear to you, it's hard for a person to spend the time that it takes <clears throat> to help himself. So I can tell you that uh, uh, my grandmother had simply a spiritual love to me that made a very big difference for me. I'm seeing that, um, you know, sometimes parents, the number one thing for them is control of the kids, you know. Um, and for me, uh, the number one thing for my grandmother was a complete belief in me. Uh, she wanted me to be in the best high school in the city of Tel Aviv. She wanted me to thrive. And other people thought I don't have a bright future, but she did, always thought so. And the result is um, that I was able to develop a whole method of natural vision improvement that affected and helped many thousands of people. But I don't only work on the eyes, by the way. I work on the whole body. Right, I know you work, you talk about how you can actually overcome back problems, joint diseases, neurological problems, as well as vision. Did you create these programs yourself? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. For example, if you think about back problems, uh, so many people have back problems, I almost feel embarrassed not to have one because it's, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't. And one of the reasons is people learn to exercise in the wrong way. And they learn it in, uh, in school and high school and in gyms. What they exercise is that they tense all the muscles at once. Like they tell you, tense your core to lift weights, tense your core to move. Truth of the matter is, uh, your energetic core is in your belly area that connects to the center of the earth. But what you need to learn is to actually isolate muscle groups. 
have them work individually. And that creates new neurological control for your body, increases the brain, makes the synapses bigger. We also have to know that we have more than 600 muscles in the body, and most people use only 50 out of them. And we need to learn about all the movements that we normally don't use. So we need to relax the muscles that are being overused and use muscles we never used before and learn that working hard isn't necessarily working good. That working good with the body is learning how to use muscles we never used before and create better neurological connection between them and the ones that we always used, spread the effort throughout many different muscles, then the joints will never hurt, the joints will never decrease their capacity to work, and we would feel better throughout life. And in fact, I think the la until the last year of our life, we would be able to have completely good function in our body. So how did you connect eyesight and vision along with all of these other components? And I know that you say also that sometimes the way we hold our necks is cutting blood flow to our eyes. There just seems to be so much interconnection. How did you figure that out? Well, uh, to begin with, in my training itself, the teacher who taught me eye exercises also connected between me and people she worked with. Uh, uh, she was actually very unusual. She was an old librarian who studied a lot of movement in her life. And she connected between me and polio patients and others. But returning to the neck, you know, if the neck is tight, it's just like getting Indian burns, you know, that uh, kids yeah. with other kids, you just don't get enough blood to your head, which could affect all kinds of things. You could get easily a stroke. Uh, you could have tumors growing in your brain. More than that, you can have lack of blood circulation to your eyes, and that could cause you a lot of problems. So uh, it's very important to loosen up the neck, but you can't loosen up the neck on its own. It connects to the spine. It connects to your whole way of moving. In fact, it connects to your toes and your hands. Um, I teach people that if your toes are weak, and they're weak with most people because of shoes and cement, we, I, I have strong toes because I walk and run on the beach often. And even when I walk on the park, in the park, I like to walk where there is gravel, and when there is set, where there is sand. But people have a hard time with moving their toes individually. I'm showing it in classes often. But then if your toes are weak, your ankles become stiff, your knees become stiff, your hip joints become stiff and the rest of the back becomes stiff and the neck and the jaw become stiff. And so that is the reason for many problems of lack of blood flow to the head. I credit, for example, glaucoma, where you basically lose a big field of your vision to poor blood flow to the optic nerve. The optic nerve simply decays out of lack of blood flow. We need blood flow. That will strengthen us uh, greatly. And when the muscles are tight, they prevent the blood from flowing. So uh, I've learned with that same, with uh, one teacher who was a youngster, uh, I exercised, but there was a person who who was connected to him, and if she showed me the beautiful uh, art of moving, 
uh, where she basically said, always move in an inclusive way. Every part of your body should be moving. That is so true. Uh, whenever I walk in the morning, I first like to walk backwards for a while. So my legs will have a whole different movement than they are used to have. And then forward. So it's very important to move in many, many different ways. So the body will be much more functional. I do recall taking your class, which I think was fascinating. You had us do a variety of poses on the ground. We did a little bit of yoga. I remember moving our toes. And I really like that holistic approach to healing your eyes. And I know it's all about self-healing. And I know that also all of us were there because of eye issues. And yet you had us move all the parts of our body, which is so interesting and so valid. I get it. I totally understand it. I try to go up and down my stairs in different ways, walk sideways, walk backwards, so that I'm mixing things up because I think that does change up the neurological patterns. Walking up the stairs should always be backwards, down forwards, yeah? So you don't fall. But especially if you have railing, yeah. you can walk walking upstairs. Yeah, I want to say, you know, we still work also on the eyes. You know, I think that right now with so many people uh, looking at uh, smartphones and looking on Zoom and things of that nature, and us sitting in rooms, that causes a lot of eye problems. So to begin with, we have nine principles of natural vision improvement. Uh, the first one is deep relaxation of the eyes. And I love the exercise of palming, where we, um, uh, some people call it cupping, I call it palming, where we uh, put our hands over our eye orbits and we relax the eyes. Uh, I love to sit in dark room and palm and focus on my breathing and listen to music. So that's one exercise, but not always it's relaxing, depends how relaxed your hands are and how relaxed you are in general. Yeah, but you, well, to, just to tell people, because I want people to understand this, when you do it with a class with you, you have us put our elbows on something that's elevated a little bit, and we want to make sure that when we're palming our eyes, you're not pressing down on them too much, right? You, you don't press on the cheek, you don't touch the eyes, but you don't press on the cheekbones. Uh, it's so important that when you palm, you put the hands very gently and that your head doesn't go forwards or backwards, that you're straight, right? Right. So the second principle is adaptation to light amplitude and frequencies. And that means that the night should not bother you. And in fact, you should be able to see at night, but we don't have night. In San Francisco, there's always light at night. In New York, more. In Tel Aviv, a lot. In Sao Paulo, a lot. Uh, and I think uh, it's very, very important that we will find a space where there is no light and we can walk at night if it's not dangerous. So with my six-day eye classes, which I'll have one on February, from February 10 to 15th uh, of 22, we always have night walk. So that's a very important thing. Uh, the... And what's, tell us what the benefit of walking at night is. It changes our vision, right? I mean, I notice when I uh, look at, and you, I know also you talk about looking in the distance, but if I take my glasses off, I can focus on something and read it after a few seconds. 
because we adjust. Is that what happens at nighttime? You adjust so that you learn to see you at night? Great, you ask a great question. You know, uh, we have these days a lot of light, but humanity throughout its history did not have so much light. In fact, fire is kind of a new invention, only 50,000 years old, right? Uh, we had uh, basically uh, dawn, sunrise, uh, light, uh, daylight, then we had sunset and then twilight. And then the dark came in. We don't have that transition. 90% of people, when it's sunset, they turn the lights on in, the, in their house. So we have 126 million photoreceptors in the retina. Six millions are more for the daytime, which is the cones. And 120 millions are rods. And they have general vision. They don't have very specific vision. So we need to wake up the rods uh, to more life. And that's what we do at night. Then the daytime, uh, we are adapting to the sun. And I think that it's a big mistake that so many people wear sunglasses. I know it's controversial, but I would still bring my viewpoint. The sun is very necessary for the eyes. We can put a hat to have a shadow uh, and shade is good, but it's really good to obstruct the daylight, it really bad to obstruct the daylight. Now, you have the exceptions when you are driving and there is a sunset in front of your eyes or sunrise in front of your eyes, a great glare on the road. But taking away those exceptions, we should not wear sunglasses. So we want to adapt to the sun and there's a very wonderful exercise that we teach in our program called um, sunning, where we close our eyes and we move the head all the way from side to side and the uh, pupils constrict as we face the sun and expand as we move away from the sun. So that is a very uh, important um, exercise. And do you, just let me clarify, so you, you're looking at the sun, but your eyes are closed. So you are facing the sun. Facing the sun. Yeah. And you move the head a hundred, you face the sun with the bridge of your nose and your, the middle of your forehead, where people say you have your third eye. But then you move all the way from side to side, chin to shoulder, not ear to shoulder, chin to shoulder. And it's very important that, that you face the sun, that pupils constrict, and when you move to the side, they expand and they constrict and expand and constrict and expand. Even if your eyes are closed? Of course they do, even if the eyes are closed, yeah. And um, uh, the next exercise, the next principle, so this is, the first is relaxation. The second is adaptation to different light frequency. Third one is distance viewing, because so many people have cataracts these days and I believe that one of the things that is missing for us is looking at a distance. We all need to look at a distance. So distance viewing is a very, very important thing for us. Um, the, the next principle is, uh, uh, the next principle is um, uh, looking at details. You know, my daughter was born with cataract, just like my son. 
and she should see she should see only two and a half percent without lenses because there were infant that didn't implant lenses there, and I think it's great. And uh, and also she has small cornea, that would make it two and a half percent of vision. And I taught her to look at details in many different ways. She was able to count 200 petals uh, of flowers in less than one minute. And by doing that, by looking at smaller details that we tend to see, we're activating the macula, the central part of the retina, which is only a percent and a half of the total visual field. Doing that caused her to be able to see 75% of normal vision without her uh, lenses, and with lenses, 100%. And in fact, uh, it started with very thick lenses, and right now it went two-thirds down. She's still improving at the age of 28. Which That's is incredible. Great. Incredible. Yeah. So uh, from infancy, uh, my two kids had the cataract surgery. So what I want to say is you can prevent macular degeneration that happens to so many people if we learn to look at details. I know of one guy who was once a pharmacist and he used to uh, look at medicine bottles and prescriptions. And, you know, I was then 28, he was 73. I thought he was old, no longer, you know, now <laughs> I'm 67. Doesn't look that way anymore. But uh, I got him to look far away and to look at details. And I worked very much on his hunch posture and I've straightened him. Within three months, he was able to see 2025, 95% of 2020, which his doctor did not understand. So I think it is uh, so important for us to relearn, to look differently in the way we look. He looked at a distance because he always looked from near. That gave his eyes tremendous rest, and he learned to look at details. We can prevent macular degeneration if we start to look at details. Everything in the world stops us from doing it. You go to a supermarket, you want to find exactly the item you want to, and everything else may even bother you. Uh, when you look at letters, if it's not choreography, you try to see whole paragraphs. But truth of the matter is we have to look at the smallest thing we could possibly look at. Uh, the next principle is peripheral vision. This is a big deal. Many people walk in the street, they're looking at their, at their phone, and as they look at their phone, for them, uh, there is no rest of the world. The only world that exists for them is what's in front of their phone. And we need to uh, start and uh, realize that we stop using our periphery. So do you know what happens to many people without good periphery? No, what happens? They get glaucoma. They get, they get glaucoma, which leads to destruction of the optic nerve. They get high pressure in the eye. Sometimes with normal pressure, they still have destruction of the optic nerve. And doctors only think about reducing their pressure, but they're not working on increasing their peripheral work. That's what we do. What we do is we put paper between the eyes and we wave our hands to the side. And everybody can see it in my books, Vision for Life and Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing. And of course, in my workshops. And um, 
today, October 8th, I'm uh, on October, um, uh, no, 7 today, right? On, on October 15 and 16, I'm teaching a class of natural vision improvement. But the main thing is that February 10th to the 15th, we teach a six-day class. People come from all four corners of the world, including Europe and the Far East to San Francisco. And they really studied with me in that class. We have good numbers of people, about 30 or 40. They're not too, big, too many. And the, it's, the class is, is large and nice. And most people improve the vision in that class. And so it's very important for me that you'll know that there's that alternative. But now the peripheral vision is missing with most people. In fact, in any optometrist's office, if they measured 70% of your periphery, potentially, they think it's a good periphery. There's some periphery that can only wake up in the dark of the night. We don't have a dark night in the middle of the class, but we darken the room and throw to each other globe balls in the dark, which is like stars, you know? Yeah. But the dark of the night wakes up 40 million uh, uh, roads that we normally don't wake up. So we need that. By the way, we have night work, both in the training course and uh, in my six-day class, and one lady said, uh, the brightest morning I had in my life is a one long walk with Mayor in the park. It takes <laughs> about 50 minutes, 40 minutes it takes to wake up all those roads, and then we benefit from it for 10 more minutes. And next day, people see so much better because more of the eye was used. Ooh, so we really have to practice. What I do want to say is it's not a quick fix. Obviously, it's something that you need to work on and develop. So if we are to do those exercises, and I recall doing it, putting the piece of paper on my nose and waving the hands, those are the exercises that strengthen, that enable us to utilize our periphery vision better, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Because we often, due to the phone and the computers, we often forget there is periphery and that you know you have to understand that if you don't practice uh the muscles of your body the brain of your body you lose it it takes a lot of work to keep it and it makes our life so much better and then the the next principle is balance use of the eyes quite a few people overwork one eye at the expense of the other so we have specific exercises to create balance. So for example, we put a long piece of paper from the forehead to the chin and we throw a ball from hand to hand. So the dominant eye will not overpower the other eye because one eye cannot see what the other sees. And we have many other exercises. One of them is blocking the eye that sees well and practicing with the eyes, the eye that sees poorly. So we do that. And then the next principle is um, balancing the use of each eye itself. For example, we patch one eye, put a small piece of paper in the middle of the other eye and throw a ball from side to side. But the truth is that we're saying that most people don't use all parts of the eye. And then the next principle is more blood flow to the visual system. And that is very important uh, because uh, many people tense their body and they don't have enough blood flow to the visual system. And that's one of the reasons that we have blindness. In fact, 85% of blinding conditions 
in old age is poor black blood to the visual system. Wow. So there are a lot of things we can do as we age or even younger people, as you said, with your children who were born with cataracts, but that we can do to prevent macular degeneration and to prevent glaucoma and other eye diseases just simply by exercising our eyes and healing ourselves that way. Absolutely. And Kim, I want you to have only one eye problem when you're 110. And that is that you drive your girlfriends to the ophthalmologist's office and feel sorry for them for not doing the exercises. <laughs> so so uh, we definitely can improve our eyes. We definitely can prevent most of the existing eye problems. And it is terrible that we don't. Yeah, well, I think it's great what you are offering. And you've helped thousands and thousands of people. I know pre-pandemic, you were traveling everywhere to present your seminars. Right. And we have wonderful uh, seminars on videos, those people who want to see them. And we also have audio programs. Yeah, but I think it's great. I was very impressed. And I have to admit, I have not kept up with my exercises except for the palming and the distance because I'm fortunate enough to have my desk face a window with a very expansive view. So I can see quite far. And I think about that all the time. I work for a bit and then I look in the distance for a bit. And I do think that that has helped me substantially. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Mayor, we're coming to the end of our time together. And in our show notes, we will put your website and we will put your books that you have written. And I know your books are actually really great. They give a lot of good information. If someone is able and willing to do the exercises and do the work themselves, it's a great option if they can't attend an in-person seminar or workshop with you which of course is the even, best even if they can i mean it's good for them to have those books well yes absolutely because they solidify what you have learned in, in your fact, training them even better if they came to my training yeah of course of course well mayor thank you so much for sharing just a tidbit of your offerings and the fact that you were able to cure yourself from being legally blind to me says speaks volumes about how important it is to heal ourselves and that we can heal ourselves yeah kiddingly said i used to be legally blind i'm illegally sighted <laughs> i like that a lot thank and you so much it's amazing <laughs> thank you very much and please be in touch with us uh, with www self-healing.org or call us at 415-665-9574. We're here to help you. Great. Everybody will be clamoring to learn how to see better. I know. And I'll put all of that in our show notes too. So thank you, Mayor, for lighting us up and helping us realize that we can heal our own eyes. Wonderful.